Good morning. Oh boy. Good morning, church. Thank you. I appreciate that. Um, Stephen, I did think the one thing you forgot at first service, too, at our family ministry meeting on the 29th, y'all, there will be donuts. I'm not saying that is why you should come to the meeting, but I'm not saying that's not why you should come to the meeting. There will be donuts. Um, over the last couple of months, we've actually had a lot of new faces uh, and new names and new folks just being around here in our body, and um, I have an ask of you. If you are a proprietor of a donut shop, or you know somebody who could help me out, I need a line item, and I need some convincing for, our, um, for Evie DeWitt, uh, that I need a line item specifically for donuts on Sunday morning. So if you know a guy, I know a guy who could use you. That would be me. Um, good morning. For, you guys, first of all, you think I'm joking. I'm not. <laughs> like, if you know a connection. Duncan doesn't take our, uh, our tax-free thing here. Um, my name's Catherine. I'm the Minister to Youth and Families here at All Souls, and I'm so excited to be here with you guys uh, this morning. Over the last 17 weeks, we have been talking about two very distinct series, right? Um, they're, they're distinct and, and different, but they're also deeply connected. We've talked about what it looks like to be a contrast community in our beloved community series, Walking Through the Book of Ephesians. And then we just got finished with talking about the fruits of the Spirit where we're walking through and talking through these attributes of how the fruits call us towards personal reformation and transformation uh, and being part of this community. And then next week, we're going to be kicking off uh, a nine-week series here, talking about the vision that we have for the body of Christ, specifically here at All Souls. Um, so my task this morning is to take these two things and reconcile them to one another. Right, tying together these teachings and these nuggets of wisdom from Paul and the Gospels and help us take these as foundational pieces of who we are as believers to solidify them so that we can move forward in thinking about our lives and our calling and our vision as the church. And not just uh, like a capital C universal church, but a body of believers specifically here together at All Souls. So first, we have to talk a little bit about what the church is. And I think it's important, and it bears repeating and reminding because, as evidenced by the camera right there, we have been scattered for the better part of 18 months, right? Uh, there are some of you who may be watching from home right now or listening to this a little bit later um, in your cars. Maybe you're walking, and you have not stepped foot in this building in over a year. Um, if you were waiting for a personal invitation to come back, friends, consider yourselves invited. Um, we have had new people who have joined our church family since you've been here, and they seem pretty cool. The jury is still out on a few, but most of them are great. Thank you. Now you're waking up. Um, we'd love to see you back. Um, there are some people who are here. Maybe you're new, or maybe you felt a little bit disconnected. You're not really sure where to plug in because things look so different, right? Things are topsy-turvy. Uh, I want to encourage you to take a look at the volunteer board in the lobby uh, next to where the coffee is to see where God might be calling you, even in your discomfort, uh, to see where you might be able to serve, right? You don't know how you might be surprised by what God could do in your life uh, and how he could show himself. Maybe you're sitting here and you're in a third group, right? You're one of our, our faithful friends who we see regularly. You are engaged in your community group with the women's studies in the men's ministry. Um, you're serving downstairs with our kids or serving someplace across our community with our students. 
Um, maybe you're on the Sunday morning production team. Mad shout out to all these people we don't see right now, right? Or maybe you're doing the most essential work of the church and you're making coffee in the morning. We see you too, right? We, you are the church. We love you. We celebrate you. When you are not here, you are missed. And this message is for all three of these groups, right? All of us. We want to talk about being rock solid. So I'll invite Thomas to come up here and read our passage today. He's going to be reading out of the New International Version. So if you've got a copy of the worship guide, you can follow along with him. As you come to him, the living stone rejected by humans, but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For in scripture it says, See, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone, and the one who trusts him will never be put to shame. Now, do you believe the stone is precious? But those who do not believe, the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and a stone that causes people to stumble and a rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they disobey the message, which is also what they were destined for. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of the darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. The word of the Lord. Thanks, Thomas. Friends, will you pray with me? Lord, I pray as we reflect uh, this morning on what it means to be your church, the bride. I, I pray that you would open our hearts and our ears for the understanding of the reading of your word, that we can grow confidently in the knowledge of who you are and what you have called us to so that we can live confidently as people who belong to you, as people who are intentionally and purposefully brought together to practice the way that you have laid out for us. In the name of your son, amen. Um, if you have been around church for almost any length of time, you have probably heard a male preacher talk about the church as the bride of Christ. And this is totally fair. I mean, it's in scripture, right? We see this in Revelation. We see it in Ephesians. We see it in 2 Corinthians. Um, Paul talks like it's the church is the bride of Christ. Um, now, in these sermons, you may have heard some stories about some weddings, maybe even some cringeworthy stories about some weddings about a man standing at the altar and the emotions that he feels when the doors are flung wide and he sees his beautiful bride walking down the aisle. Um, these stories are wonderful. They're good. They hit the point. They're valid. But you have a perk here because I'm a lady preacher and I see it from the other side. I do not have the experience of standing at the end of an aisle and watching my husband walk towards me. I was the one doing the walking. And my husband John and I have been married five years this past July. 
Um, and for our wedding, we opted not to do what photographers call like a first look, right? That's where before the wedding, the bride and groom see each other and he gets verklempt and it makes for a cute picture, right? Um, we opted not to do that because we got married at 10 o'clock in the morning, which I don't recommend. Uh, the makeup lady came to the church at like 3 a.m. and I was like, what am I, what am I doing with my life? But uh, the church we got married at in Denver, which is where I'm from, didn't have air conditioning and we got married in July. So 10 o'clock was like pushing it, but it's a dry heat. It was still real hot, right? Still real hot. But I am so thankful that we didn't do that first look um, because we got, my photographer got, um, a series of my all-time favorite photos of my husband from our wedding. Um, this is the picture that we have of when my husband saw me walk down the aisle. Um, I did not cry at all during our wedding. He cried the whole time. We have so many pictures. We cried when they prayed before. He cried when I walked down the aisle. It's fine. I'm married to cryer. I love him. It's great. Um, I am confident that this photo, the motions that you see in here is because he realized that my dress had pockets. Uh, and that is an amazing, incredible sight to behold. I kid you not. I mean, I'm kind of kidding about that being his emotion, but my dress had pockets and it was awesome. Um, but this, this face, my husband's face, is the face that I picture whenever I hear these stories, right? These stories of the church being the bride of Jesus and how Jesus longs for her to be made radiant and be made new, right? It's laid out in the book of Revelation. Now, I want to acknowledge that for some of you, this example um, of the church being a bride can be really painful, right? You, you may be walking through and wrestling with the brokenness of a relationship, and that's hard, right? Or maybe you're super annoyed because these stories are super cheeseball, and they just like highlight and emphasize the antiquated gender roles in this world, and I get it. I get it. Like, I get it. But friends, I don't want you to be focused on that, to miss the beauty that the story of God is with the local church, his bride. Thomas read in 1 Peter here, we're learning about what God desires of his people, the chosen people. Look back with me here at verses 4 and 5. Peter says, as you come to him, the living stone, rejected by humans, but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. In your translation, and a little bit later on, it says living cornerstone, right? The Greek translation of that description of Jesus' living stone literally means like a live rock, right? Living stone. Um, and this living stone is Christ, and, and Christ is the cornerstone of the church, right? This is an often used metaphor, but for good reason. Um, and I do have a confession. I, as shocking to many, do not know much about stone masonry. But I have read that the cornerstone of a building is important. That it supports the entire weight and the structure of the building. The cornerstone of the church supports the entire weight and the structure of the church. And y'all, you know what the Bible tells us? Cornerstone of the church not the pastor, and pastors everywhere breathe a sigh of relief. It's not the Sunday morning worship service. It's not community groups. It's not book studies. It's not the coffee. 
Scripture tells us that the cornerstone of the church is Christ, period, hard stop, the end. Now, that's not to say that the pastor and Sunday service and community groups and coffee are not important, but when the cornerstone of the church is Christ, it tells us that all of the important things start there. I think it's easy for us to say, oh, yes, cornerstone of the church is Christ. It's like this heady theological concept. I agree with that. Okay, move along our merry way without really thinking of what the ramifications of that mean. Well, you guys, you know when Christ is the cornerstone of the church, it means more than just simply Jesus is true, right? Or that the fruits of the Spirit are true, or that there's truth in us as a church being a contrast community. When Christ is the cornerstone of the church, these things go from being simply true to being true and also desirable. We believe that Jesus is true, and we desire to be near him. We believe and see that the fruits of the Spirit are real, and we desire to flourish in our personal lives because and through them. We see the church as a contrast community, and it is true, and we desire to come together to change the world around us by showing people who Christ is. These are the marks of the local church. And we see here back in verse 5 that not only is Christ the cornerstone, but we become living stones as well. Right? If we are Christians through the power of Christ in our lives, we are changed people. And then Jesus stacks us together. Stone upon stone. Some big, some small, some smooth, some of us, a little more rough around the edges. But he stacks us together. And we go from just stones to a house. And it's not just any house. The words here say a spiritual house. This is the temple. This is the dwelling place of God. Through coming together in Jesus, we are built together into a place that houses the spirit itself. And one of the hard parts in this where we kind of start to get comfortable, uncomfortable is where we see Peter telling us that God is taking you and he's taking me and building something together, right? And the concept of a house kind of falls apart when we focus on our single selves, right? An individual stone does not a house make. I think it can be easy, <clears throat> especially coming out of living in a world where we have been in quarantine to think of the gospel in individual terms, right? I come to Jesus. I accept Jesus, right? I am forgiven in Jesus. I am a Christian. And then we come together as like the church in this space. And then it's like this weird collective, right? Where we have all of these individuals who come together, who have individual relationships with God. We send our kids downstairs. We send worship. We listen to a sermon. <clears throat> then we go along the way the rest of the week, right? We, we leave as individuals. And, and it's easy to fall into this trap of thinking that we've been together when there really isn't even a sense of belonging. It's more like we've been next to. So often I, I think we come into this place, into this sanctuary, without feeling the responsibility to this community or to the body that Peter talks about. Maybe we feel responsibility when we're like in the building, right? We come into church and we're like, ah, oh, I should really sign up on that service board. They really, I could make coffee once a month. Yeah, I, I could do that. Um, but then we come into service and we do all the things. We stand and we sit and we sing and we... We take, figure out how to do the communion cup, and then, 
you got to leave, and then it's hot, and then your 14-year-old is just complaining about, why is the air conditioning on in the car? And then you've got to go get the groceries, and by the time you get home, it's like, ah, that's long gone. Long gone. And then it recycles back again when you walk into the building on the next Sunday. And Peter is not here just talking about the universal church. I think that's another thing that Christians can kind of gloss over. It's like, oh, he's talking about like the church, like I'm part of the church, whatever that means, right? And that's true, the universal church is good, we should be praying for where God is gonna manifest his glory throughout the globe, absolutely. But Peter is also describing the reality of our church, this church, the ecclesia, our home. He's talking about all souls. We are not just a collection of individuals who show up on Sunday to check off of a box. Right? We are a house built by God. You and I are built up on one another, and God makes his home here. The spirit dwells here. It's not just a social club. And I'm not saying that's a bad thing for the record. You want to do something social, call me. I love doing the social things. But we're called to be living stones. We are, in fact, stones, and we bear weight and responsibility for one another in this body. We have the obligation to care for and to love and to bear with and serve our brothers and sisters sitting around us. And they have a responsibility to you. And this is hard. You know why? Other people. Ugh. Right? Like, they do things differently than us. They live differently. They talk differently. They drive differently. They parent differently. They vote differently. Um, my community book is reading uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer's Life Together. That guy knew what he was talking about. I'll tell you what. There's a quote that we just read this week. Whew, here we go. God did not make others as I would have made them. God did not give them to me so that I could dominate and control them, but so that I might find the creator by means of them. Now other people, in the freedom with which they were created, become an occasion for me to rejoice. Whereas before, they were only a nuisance and trouble for me. God does not want me to mold others into the image that seems good to me, that is, into my own image. Instead, in their freedom from me, God made other people in God's own image. I can never know in advance how God's image should appear in others. That image always takes on a completely new and unique form whose origin is found solely in God's free and sovereign act of creation. To me, that form may seem strange or even ungodly. But God creates <clears throat> every person in the image of God's Son, the crucified, and this image, likewise, certainly looks strange and ungodly to me before I grasped it. We read this this past week, and it keeps coming over and over in my head, and I'm struck by how right he is, right? It draws me here to verse 9, what Peter wrote and is echoed by the prophet of Isaiah and in the book of Ephesians, and when it comes to the identity of each of us, how the image of God is in his chosen people. You can read here, but you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. We are, in fact, a holy priesthood. This, this is our vocation. What does a priest do? Well, in the Old Testament, 
They stand before God and they represent people. And they stand before people and represent God. So, so that's our calling. That's what we're supposed to do, right? To go out of this place and represent Jesus into the world, into our city, into our neighborhoods, our schools, our workplaces. We are called to show who God is and what he has done in our lives through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. We're called to do that because we're living stones. And not just stones that are like randomly strewn about, but stones that are intentionally set apart and laid together for a purpose. And I'm gonna take this one step further. We're called to show the glory of God to others, not just in the story of our individual experience, but in the story about how he's knitting us together side by side here in this very place. Peter's declaration here that God has chosen us, that we are people for his own possession and that he cares deeply for us, man, he... He so wants us to move from darkness to light, to loosen our identity on the things that separate us and in turn tie us together as God's people. And, and that sounds good and all, but when I think of the practical implications of what it means for me to loosen um, the grip on my identity, I do not like that, right? Think about the things with which you associate your identity. Politics, hobbies, Race, social class, where you went to college, hometown, family, right? Your theological upbringing, your denominational stance, right? We value what we value, we want what we want, and our individual nature most often compels us to go and do the things, given that part of our identity, not taking into consideration our church community. And then in turn, we wonder why we see things like complacency and loneliness, destruction, and why we are left with longing and confusion. You know why? Why we're left with that? Because we spend so much time trying to focus our identity on our individual needs and wants and desires that we forget to whom we belong. These things that I mentioned above, right? Hobbies, colleges, hometowns, family. These are good. These are great things when they're not asked to hold the full weight of our identity. We spend so much time focusing on the things that can make us happy and the things that can make us wealthy and the things that can make us blah, whatever, right? That we forget that it's not about us. The moment that we try and build together the essence of our existence from any of the things that are apart from God, y'all, that wall is gonna crumble. Those stones are not gonna stand. We have a community and an identity here as stones being built into a house with Christ as the cornerstone. Our identities as individuals don't fade away, no, but they pale in comparison to the identity that we have as a church together, moving toward a common goal in seeking and declaring Christ to the world around us. Living stones, holy nation, people for God's own profession, royal priesthood, these identities, resting firmly on the cornerstone of Christ Jesus. These are things you can build your house on. And make no mistake, there is a cost here, right? There is a cost to being a part of this church. There's a cost to being part of the covenant people. There's a cost to being built together as a temple surrounded by other people because remember what Bonhoeffer said earlier, they are a nuisance. But still, like Israel, we're not chosen by God for our might or strength or power. We are not chosen based on our education or our pedigree or our voting record. We are chosen for his good pleasure to prove his redeeming glory. 
so that other people would stop and say and be like, God chose them, those people? Those are his people? To which we reply, yes, so chosen that we may proclaim the excellencies of God who called us out of the darkness and into his marvelous light. We are a people for God's own possession. The church here, all souls, is a temple built of the stones of you and me that house the Holy Spirit. And this mercy that Peter declares at the end that we have received, whoo, there it is, right? Eugene Peterson's translation in the message says this, of verses 9 and 10, but you are the ones chosen by God, chosen for the high calling of priestly work, chosen to be a holy people, God's instrument to do his work, to speak out for him, to tell others of the night and day difference he has made for you, from nothing to something, from rejected to accepted. This mercy that God gives us shows us that you are accepted. You belong. And I tell you what, human beings, we long to belong. We ache to belong. We work to belong. We're born with it. We die with it. And all of this gatekeeping and self-identifying of other things is our attempt to become worthy of belonging. God says to you, you belong. You're mine. You are my possession. You are a people made for me. We are the renewed people of God, living stones, royal priesthood, holy people, by mercy for the glory of God, created to be stacked together, to be the house where the spirit of the living God dwells. This is who we are, and this is what God has made us. Amen. One of the ways each week that we have that identity in Christ reinforced and rooted in us is by coming to this table. This table that belongs to Christ and is for those who trust him and call on him. And in this table we see that Christ was taken and broken and poured out for the sake of the world. And in the same way, God takes us as his possession, broken as we are, that we may be a fragrant offering for the world. So friends, as we come, let us proclaim the mystery of our faith. Let us pray together. The Lord be with you. Now lift up your hearts. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, he gathered his disciples together in an upper room. And after he had given thanks, he took the bread and he broke it, saying, This is my body, broken for you. Take all of you and eat of it, and do so in remembrance of me. In the same way, after he took the cup and poured it out, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood shed for the forgiveness of sins. Take all of you and drink of it. And so it is that whenever we eat of this bread and we drink of this cup, we proclaim his dying until he comes again. Here at All Souls of late, we have been taking communion by 
the, the cups and the bread that are in the uh, individual cups in the back of our sanctuary. Starting next week, we are also going to invite you to come forward and receive the elements together to line up. You can do this as a, a, a body together. This is a, a means of grace that God has given to us to remind us that we are His. And so, friends, as we come, we proclaim the mystery of faith that Christ has died, Christ is risen, Christ will come again. Friends, these are the gifts of God for the people of God. Take and eat, drink, remember, and rejoice. Amen.